I've certainly enjoyed this season uh, of, of pastoring, even in the very tense sessions uh, in our nation around COVID. And I'm just so thankful that we've been able to be online through the, through the months and uh, still connect. It would be easy to say this is the first time we have met in months, but it's not true. Uh, we've been meeting every day as a church. The church is unstoppable. Can I have an amen? And, uh, and we, we need the word of God. Raise your hand if you know you need the word of God in your home. And uh, it's a strange season. If you would have told me 20 years ago uh, that we would have had a pandemic that hit the way that it did. And then on the heels of that, the, the racial tension uh, that we now are dealing with. And, uh, and then you, you would have said, because this is what I believe, that this would be the beginning of a move of God in the church, I would have said, yes, Lord, bring it. Uh, because we, we want to be a church that understands how to love people when they're going through a difficult time. Can I have an amen? All right, so we have fathers in this house, uh, but I thought about how do I speak this word to us uh, on Father's Day related to some of the real things that are happening uh, around this nation. And I've decided to talk about how a good church is a lot like a good father. Now, if you're a father, again, raise your hand if you're a father here in this house. If, if you're a father, you remember the mistakes that you've made. I remember all of my mistakes. Uh, but my dad, when I tell my dad, my dad is listening right now. Happy Father's Day, dad. And uh, when, I, when I tell my dad, dad, you're a, you're a great father. My dad always says, no, I'm not. I made so many mistakes. I don't know what he's thinking about when he says that, but I don't remember them. Uh, I love my dad. He's my dad. That's, that's, that's what I remember. But I've noticed that I remember the mistakes that I've made with my kids. And uh, so if you're a father, uh, for some reason, uh, we just remember the times that we were not there, even if you were a great father. But the truth is, we're all sinners and we've all made big mistakes. Raise your hand if you've ever sinned before. Okay, a lot. And we need grace. The Bible says there is no, not one that is righteous. And we all fall short of the glory of God. So when I speak on being a, a good church, can be like a good father. What I'm asking is that no one just gets heavy in their heart and say, man, I've blown it uh, so many times. No, what I want you to do is just change. Now to start this, I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 24. And this is, this is the kind of verse that you do not want on, on your refrigerator uh, this is not an encouraging word. Go home and read the book of Matthew in chapter 24. And the whole thing is about the end times. Now, I'm not going to talk about the theology of end times. But I personally, I just want to let you know, I believe we are in those days. And, uh, but the Bible is very clear on what those days will look like. It talks about people will be lovers of themselves. They will be abusive. They, they will be treacherous. They will be rash. They will be conceited, uh, not lovers of good. And they'll have a form of godliness, but there will be no power in it. But in Matthew 24, it describes very intense things that we all need to learn. Like it says, in the last days, the big, the big thing that's going to happen is that we're going to be deceived. This is very important for you to understand how easy it is to be deceived. The problem with being deceived is that you are deceived. I hope I'm not going too fast for everybody. In other words, if you said, man, I didn't see it that way before and now I do, you're probably no longer deceived. 
Or worse than that, maybe you just became deceived. So then how are we going to know? Here's how you know. Look what Jesus said. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Everybody say most. Now listen to me. I just want to get as honest as I can. There's not many things I know how to do. Uh, I'm, I know how to pastor. I, I'm not saying I'm good at it, but I know that's my call and that's what I do. But because I'm a pastor, I do not like that verse. Because if you think about the word most, it doesn't tell you how many, but it does tell you 51% or higher. And so I often wonder about that, like, how are the people at New Life Church going to do? Is our love going to grow cold? Which means we will have to be deceived, which will mean that we will start getting mean Jesus was sitting around one day and he was talking to this group of people and he said in Matthew uh, chapter 12, he said, Jesus knew their thoughts. It's very important you understand that he knows our thoughts. He looks at our actions, but before we have a bad action, he already knows our thoughts. And that, that can be intimidating to you unless you understand uh, that he still believes that he still has purpose with you. But Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. And, and then all, one day he was sitting around with the disciples. If we could see that verse, I think it's in John. If we could go to it right now, it's not there. It is. It says in John 13, 35. Now hold it just a second. Everybody look here. He's sitting around uh, the table. Uh, he, he is speaking to the disciples, especially in a verse that I'm getting ready to share with you. There are times where he's talking to religious leaders and there's times when he's talking to the disciples. But, but he's, telling, he's telling this group, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, so he's talking to the disciples, if you love one another. Now click that verse off. What he's also saying, if that's true, he's also saying people can tell that you're not a disciple if you don't love one another. In other words, the measure of love has a lot to do with it. He even goes deeper and he says, look, the, the enemy that you're fighting is, is not against one another. You think it is, but Satan cannot drive out Satan. But my people can if they come together in my spirit and then pray against that force, then they can win that way. But, but I've, I've noticed that divided hearts cannot give undivided attention to God. And that's the primary goal of the enemy is to get us to not love one another. Now, with that in mind, I find that social media is a great place to become a person who clearly hates a lot of people, is frustrated, lots of anger. Even if you say a post nowadays that is very clear and kind, and pointed and worthy. The chatter under your name uh, can be so mean, even ab abusive. Like, I just want to challenge you. I just want you to think about this. Maybe it's a good time for us to become relational and not yelling on social media. Maybe this is a good time to stop watching the news so much and get into the word of God. Can I have an amen? All right, so this is what I want to challenge you to be like. Why? Because look here for a minute. I grew up in a church that they didn't really love people that much. 
I have to be a little judgmental to look back and study that church, but, but here's how I know. No one knew was ever coming into that church. Everybody there, they all looked the same. Everybody there, they were all a part of the same political ideas of the day. Everybody there, they just had the same type of style of clothes. And, and, uh, and, and, and though uh, they, they met every week, the only person that I ever saw give their heart to the Lord in those, those church, that church was when a kid would grow up and get to be about eight or ten, and then all of a sudden they realize, hey, mom and dad, I want to be a Christian. It was awesome because they would make a decision for Christ. So I'm not discounting that, but no new people were ever coming. Why? I think it's because they didn't love people. I heard about this other church on the other side of town, and I couldn't wait to go to it, and I went to it, and every, it was like heaven. Everybody there looked a different way. It was young and old, people with tattoos, people without them, people who were stylish, people who didn't even know what style was, every type. And people were excited. They were writing in their Bibles. They were getting to church early. They were staying late. I remember one family, they were so excited about getting into church. They got out of their car, like the keys in the car, and kept it running. We found their car running out because they just wanted to get inside. Why? Because they were loved in there. Because the Holy Spirit was there. So you had one church where no one was ever visiting. And you have another church where people could not wait to get there. So what I decided to do was to talk about how a good church is a lot like a loving father. Our father God was perfect. We're not, but he is. And not only was he perfect, but he gave a perfect sacrifice, his son, Jesus. In fact, if you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength, would you praise his name together? Come on with, with me right now. All right. But I'm going to get very pointed in this talk. I'm not rebuking anybody. I'm just trying to get everybody on the same page. Here's what a good father is like, which is also a good church. First thing that a good church does is we protect. We protect. Um, I've had four kids, and if you, have, if you have boys and girls, you don't love the girls more than you love your boys, but you just love them differently. Like when your boys are trying to learn how to ride a bike and they fall and they're bleeding, it's like, get up. That's what knees are for, blood, whatever. Just get up. But your daughters, you know, you catch them. And you, you care for them. You bring them for everything. You bring them in for ice cream because I love ice cream. So I figure they do. Always just trying to protect them. All right. My daughter, Grace. She might be here somewhere. Where are you? Hey, Grace. Everybody say, what up, Grace? Stand up. Turn around and wave at everybody. She loves attention. She's like her mom. She just wants, she's mad she's not preaching today. And uh, I'm kidding. She doesn't like that. But she is a sweetheart and I love her. Well, one day, the person next to her, Kyle, would you stand up and look at everybody? That's Kyle. Sit down, young man. And, uh, but anyway, one, one day, this relationship started growing, these two. And I could tell that she was, she was falling for him. Well, he was the perfect guy. He loves God. He loves others. He's a strong leader. He's going places. He's a hard worker. But I didn't give him a chance. If I tell you some of the things that I said to him, uh, you, you'd probably leave the church. It was so mean. I'll tell you a few of them, all right? <laughs> I told him, I said, I'm not praying for you. You're just a boyfriend. You're just passing through like the wind. I'm not going to your games. And this is the way, well, I know I'm your pastor, but 
but you're just a boyfriend. You mean nothing to me. This is what I said to him. Okay, so it was real fun for him to come to our house. Uh, but one day they started falling for each other and I couldn't even get myself to pray for Kyle. We were at a prayer meeting one time in this room and Kyle was up front and the Lord was saying, pray for Kyle. And I couldn't do it. I didn't want to pray for Kyle. Why would I pray for Kyle? So, so then one day, Grace decides to meet me. She pulls me into a room and this sweet little girl, she's 20 years old at the time or so, but she looked at me and she said, Dad, I need to know something. And she started crying. She goes, Dad, I know, because my first point is protecting. We are a protector. She goes, Dad, I know that you love me and I just want to let you know that I love Kyle. But dad, if, if you have a check about it in your spirit that I shouldn't date him, then I will shut it down. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and she goes, but dad, if you're just being a butt, that's the way my daughter talks. If you're just being a butt, then I need to know dad, because if you have a check, I'm shutting it down. But if you're just being a butt, you need to pray for Kyle. So that was the rebuke part. So I said, okay, I don't have a check about it at all. I love the kid. I'm just having trouble with all this. So we got on our knees and I prayed for Kyle the very first time. And it worked. He's in my family. Give it up for Kyle. He's in my family. Okay? But listen, after I started praying for him, things started changing in my heart. Some of you, you're just being a butt. And you think you're protecting people. And you're not. And they're hurting. A father is someone, a good father, he, he'll bug you. How are you doing? How are you doing now? How about now? Are you okay? What's going on now? How about now? Where are you? Who's with you? What are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? What are you doing now? It's kind of, kind of the role of a good father. It's the role of our Lord. And John Wesley is the best disciple that ever lived. You read about him. A church's role is we're supposed to disciple one another. That means in rooms together with Bibles open, challenging one another. I love to do this with other families, especially with other men. John Wesley would sit these guys in a room and he would look at them. He said, okay, have any of you done anything with money lately that you shouldn't done? Are you tithing? Are you giving? Are you, are you honest with your money? Have you stole anything? And they would all answer have any of you in this room hurt someone relationally where you, you went out of your, like you did something you need to reconcile with them? Anybody? And they would answer. He would always have like five questions, but the last one was always the same. The last one was, did any of you just lie to me? He wasn't doing that because he was a control freak. He was trying to protect them from getting in the error of their way. Keeping that in mind, this last week, or I'd say three weeks ago now, I might be wrong. Three weeks ago, I've been to so many meetings with different pastors because I think the church is the hope of the world. I don't think the hope can come from any other place. Uh, so I've been meeting with a lot of pastors, a lot of people. I've been everywhere. Uh, but this one meeting in Little Rock was probably one of my favorite meetings I've ever been to in my life. Uh, it was about, we might have a picture of it. I can't remember if they sent it to all the campuses. That's it. 
Okay, you can turn it off. Half that room was black pastors and half white, few Hispanics, one Asian. All right? Uh, look, look here. We're in the meeting, and I was asked to start the meeting out with another pastor who happened to uh, pastor a, a large church in Arkansas. And uh, he was a black pastor. And then they asked me, and we got together, and we started the meeting. Neither one of us knew what to say, but we just started the meeting. And then I think we prayed at that time. In fact, I know we did. And then we moved on. And then it was a white pastor, then a black pastor, and a white pastor, and a black pastor, a man or a woman, and a black pastor, a white pastor throughout the day saying different things. And then at the end, this Asian pastor stood up and he said this. He said, I want to ask all the white pastors in the room to stand and the black pastors remain seated. And I was like, this don't sound good so far. And then we stood up and then he said, hey, there's a prayer of repentance that we're going to pray for all of those still seated. And I was like, now it's sounding good. And we all apologized and repented for racial sin or times that we missed it when we were insensitive. And at the end of the prayer, we said, will you forgive us? And all the black pastors yelled out, we forgive you in Jesus name. I was like, yeah. Then they all stood and we sat down and they did the same thing with us. Will you forgive us? Yes, we will forgive you. I'm telling you, I've never felt the presence of God more in a room in all of my days. You know what hit me? That all of this is going to be healed in prayer and at the altar of God. Are you a protector? I think in order to be a protector, you have to pay attention to the real needs around. Recently, I, my knee, I, I've been having problems with my knee for about three or four years, but only minor problems. I was riding a Peloton. I've noticed that it's fat guys have trouble working out. So I was on a bike, it's a stationary bike, and it hurt my knee, and then I couldn't jog, and then, I couldn't, then it started messing with my golf, and that's when I get serious. Okay, it's messing with golf, so I went. They took an MRI and then I had to go to therapy and the people there wanted to know the impression of the MRI, the, 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 the details of it. And uh, so I told them and then they asked me this question, what is your number in, in regards to pain, zero to 10? And I thought about that and I thought, man, I want to get this right. So I said a, a four. Let me tell you what didn't happen. Can you imagine if this happened? If this person would have looked at me and says, no, it's not a four. Your pain is not a four. Your pain is more like a two. I'll give you a three, but no four. If that would have happened to me, I would have immediately gone to another therapist. Because I need that person to trust my pain. You're never going to be a protector if you don't understand and believe the pain that is in someone else. Number two, they are providers. First Timothy 5, it says, if any, anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those in his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Uh, I believe a church should look around, like always paying attention, looking around and seeing what the needs are. We've already taken an offering today, so I'm not about to do that right now. But I don't think that God loves a stingy church or a stingy person. I mean, how many of you enjoy being around somebody who's stingy? So the question is, if, if New Life Church, here's the one that just breaks my heart if the answer is not right. If New Life Church ceased 
to exist as a church, would anybody even notice or care? Well, if we're stingy, we'll never be that. And in fact, in college, I used to have this friend that if I drove, I just drove and dropped him off. But if he drove, he always asked for gas money. And uh, always said, hey, you got a gas money? You got a gas money? Look, bro, we went a mile down the road to McDonald's. I bought you food. I need some gas money, gas money. Well, he's, he's no longer my friend. And, uh, but, but the point is, no one enjoys being around stingy people. It's not like, man, I just want to hang out with my stingy friends. I'm not talking about being good with your budget. I'm talking about noticing needs and not afraid to give to it. You will never understand the vision of this church until you're not stingy. Number three, they are promoters. The father in Matthew chapter three in verse 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Okay, let me tell you an intense story. I want everybody to get here. Raise your hand if you know the pastor on staff. His name is Marcus Brown. Would you raise your hand? And if we were to all vote who our favorite preacher is, if I get the vote, I'm voting for Marcus. Uh, but Marcus uh, went to Louisiana. In fact, his dad went to Louisiana to a funeral about a month and a half ago or so, maybe a month ago. And while he was there, his dad, he got COVID. Well, he didn't know he had it. He just wasn't feeling good. And Marcus and his son, Austin, went to Louisiana to visit with their dad. And then they didn't know. And they ended up getting COVID as well. Um, the teenage son, he was 12 when he got there, had his birthday there, 13. They stayed there in quarantine until all this moved throughout their system for another 14 days, maybe 20 days before they ever left Louisiana. But the sad news is, is that Marcus, his dad died. He was in ICU, he was on a ventilator. What a lot of people don't know, and Marcus someday will tell the whole story, but Marcus was so sick they wanted to put him on a ventilator. His numbers in terms of his breathing capacity, I don't know how they study all that, were actually worse than his father's. So Marcus was holding on and finally Marcus started getting better. The day before he started getting better, Marcus had a dream that night that he was a little kid on the baseball field. And I'm talking about being a promoter. This is the church, okay? He was a little kid on the baseball field and his young dad, who was 30 years old or so, saw him and ran out to him. So it was like going back in town. Marcus is a little kid. His dad is running to him and his dad picked him up and he held him up and he goes, I'm so proud of you. I've loved you all my life. And he put him back down. And when that happened, the dream ended. Marcus woke up and they looked at Marcus and he said, Marcus, I'm sad to tell you, but your, your dad just died. All of this happened. And they talked about it and they thought, man, my dad, it's like he stayed alive until he knew I was better. Listen, if you want to know what I think a church is like, I think a church is the type of people that we run over. And those who are hurting, those who are sick, those that are discouraged, and we pick them up and we tell them we need them. Does your current range of attitude cause more healing or more division? Number four, they are priests. Look, look at this verse in Genesis uh, chapter eight. It says all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. And look at this, this sentence, this last one on the bottom. 
Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Let's say that out loud. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Come on, everyone out loud. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Look at me. Before he built a house, before he built his business plan, before he dreamt dreams, before he did anything, he built an altar. Like, as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord around here. And before we do anything else, that's what's established. Because you're going to have days where you're going to need to remember that Jesus is the center of your home. It was a time where I heard Haley screaming in another room. Haley's here as well. And she, she was cooking uh, with her mom. And they, they, I think they were making something with grease in it. And I heard Haley scream. And I, I just jumped up and I ran into the room. She's okay. She was okay then. But she had a scar for a few years and she, she didn't get burned bad. But the scream, I didn't know what I was going to see. So as I was running, I was like, Lord, you know I've given my family to you. And I don't know what I'm about to run into. It's like I had all these thoughts, but I trust you. You're right in the center of my home. I've had to go back through that many times through the years. Even during COVID, sometimes where I was having crazy thoughts, as I look at the, the turmoil of the day, the real issues and pain and questions and anger and defeat, the few victories, I think it's a great time for us to remember, hey, we're serving God first. And then the last one, number five, they're prophets, okay? I'm not a prophet. I've never had that gift. I, I wish I did. But what I mean by prophet in this is that you look at right at things that are discouraged and you speak the word to it prophetically. Look, look at this verse in Genesis. Then they moved from Bethel. And while they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. In fact, she had so much difficulty, Rachel died right when this is happening. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair for you have another son. And she breathed her last breath for she was dying. But before she died, very, very important. Before she died, she named her son Benoni. But then his father, Jacob, he named him Benjamin. So from Benoni to Benjamin, you can turn that verse off. Okay, here's what's happened. Rachel, she was in such agony and such pain that at that time, I, I've seen Michelle without anesthesia. She just, she didn't, she, you always sweet, but that day you weren't. Rachel, she, she didn't have an epidural. And Rachel's dying, she's in pain. And so I don't think she meant what she did, but she basically named her son Ben and I, man, you're the, you're the person who brought sorrow to me. You're the, you're the son of my sorrows. Well, Jacob, being a good father, said, he goes, no, I think, you know, she just meant that. She was in a lot of pain. And uh, we're changing your name. We're going to call you Benjamin. What does Benjamin mean? Benjamin, it means you're the son of my strength. Here's what I've noticed. Everybody in this room, you're going to have seasons where you feel sorrow, where you feel heaviness, 
where you feel despair. We're all going to have to have somebody walk over in our direction. You're going to need it. Some need it now. And I want us to be the kind of church where we walk over and we, we encourage that person that we need them. I never wanted to have a church that we don't act like we need one another's strength. You're the son and the daughter of strength around here. We need you. We'll, we'll encourage you in this season because soon you're going to encourage the rest of us. So to be a good church, we got to promote one another. We got to protect one another, provide for one another, be like a priest and encourager and also prophetically with the word of God. My family, we moved here 20 years ago and we started this church. We only knew one person and, and then another person came and I never wanted to be a part of a church and I still will not be a part of a church, even if I pastor it. If we don't have grace and we don't forgive people and we don't build relationships like it counts. And I just want to tell you, social media ain't going to be the solution. Thus saith the Lord. Let's bow our heads.